So if you turn to Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, and then later Proverbs uh, 16. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In Proverbs 16, verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, New Hope. Happy New Year, everyone. It is very good to see you. It's very good to be with you today. Um, If you are visiting with us, um, we're really glad you're here on the first day of the year. Um, Look forward to getting to know you, if we don't know you yet. And um, I was just thinking, as we were um, sitting here, I was standing here singing, um, He Leadeth Me, with with my, you know, I had my kids around me, and I I happened to have my hand on my my little one-year-old baby's uh, stroller, and other kids around me, and, and I thought, man, it's wonderful to know that as I seek to, to lead, and as you, those of you who are parents, seek to lead your families, to know that God himself is leading us. He is leading you. And, and it made me think that there's no better place that I could think to be at the outset of a new year than to be gathered with God's people, singing about his faithfulness to us, singing about all the wonderful things he's done for us in Christ, and all the ways that he has promised to bless us and transform us and look forward to the future with, with, with actual anticipation and excitement, regardless of our circumstances. I thought, what a great place to be in. What a great opportunity we get at the start of the year to reflect on all that. So we're about to hit 2017. Well, we're in 2017. We're about to hit the, the rest of this year. And, and I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder how you're feeling about 2017. Are, are, you, are you excited about it? Are you frightened by what stands ahead? Are you maybe cynical about what's to come? Or maybe, maybe you're just tired, worried, fatigued. Maybe, maybe you're a combination of all those things simultaneously. Um, we are back in the book of Proverbs today. We're going back to the series called The Proverbs, The Way of Wisdom. And, I, and, and the timing for this, I think, is really good because the Proverbs, Proverbs provide us with vital direction for the new year. They really do. We, we don't know what awaits us in the coming months. Um, some of what we do know might look a little frightening. It might look kind of depressing, I feel like more than any other year before, I feel like our nation is kind of like limping out of 2016 and into the coming year. So as we plan for 2017 and we start to navigate what's ahead, we absolutely need direction. We need wisdom. If you don't think you do, you're wrong. You're deluded. You do, in fact, need wisdom that comes from beyond your own resources. We need wisdom that comes from God. And by wisdom, I, need, I mean this. I mean the kind of ability, this kind of skill to be able to live well in God's world. That's what I mean by wisdom. It's, it's the skill to live according to God's perfect design in this world that he created. Wisdom enables us to, to navigate the circumstances of our lives in a way that, that not only honors God, our creator, but, but also brings flourishing. It, it brings health to us and to our community. 
In the book of Proverbs, I believe that Jesus Christ himself, the wisest man who ever lived, comes alongside us. And he speaks into our lives and says, follow my way. I'm the designer of everything that you see around you. Jesus is not just an expert on life. He is the author of life. And he comes to us and he opens his heart to us in the, in the words of Proverbs and says, this is what wisdom looks like. Follow me. So I want to invite you again to open up to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And, and we're going to read this passage one more time and then we're going to walk through it and see what God has to say to us in these words. It says in Proverbs 3, chapter 5, I mean, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We've got three directives here and in this passage and then at the end, a beautiful assurance that wraps it all up. So three directives and one beautiful assurance and I want us to look at each of these. The first directive is simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's a question for you. Who do you trust? And I don't want you to over-spiritualize things. I'm not even talking about whether you trust God or not. I'm saying the people in your life, who do you trust? Maybe it's your closest friend. Maybe it's a family member. If there's someone that you trust deeply, why do you trust that person? What is it about that person that has made them trustworthy in your eyes? I would guess that if you've decided to confide and rely on someone, it's because they've proven themselves to you. They have a track record that proves that they are reliable, that they're worthy of your trust. Are, are there people, perhaps, that you trusted in the past, but no longer, because they disappointed you, because you realized that, that they did not deserve, they were not worthy of the kind of confidence that you put in them? How did they disappoint you? What was it about them that let you down and made you say, I can no longer trust this person? Was it betrayal? Or is it maybe that they just failed? They weren't able to live up to your expectations of them. There are some people who you might trust to a point, but you trust them cautiously. That is, you trust them, but you keep an eye on them too. Because, because you want to make sure that they're not going to turn around and disappoint you or betray you. Or perhaps there are people in your life that you trust with some areas of your life, but not other areas. I'll give you an example. I trust my wife with my life. I trust her with my children. I confide in her, and, and, and I seek to, to not keep secrets from her. And the reason I do that is because I know that she has my best interests in mind. I know that she loves me, but I don't trust her to tune up my car. I don't trust her to change the oil or to fix my transmission. Why? Because I doubt her aptitude in those areas. I'm sure that if she, she learns things much more quickly than I do, and so if she set her mind to find out how to fix cars, she'd probably be a wonderful mechanic. But at this point, she has not developed those skills yet. So I'd rather trust someone else with that area of my life. I have a mechanic whose aptitude I trust, but I wouldn't confide in him because I don't believe he loves me. <laughs> 
And I don't believe that mechanic, mechanic always has my best interests in mind. In fact, I look closely at the bill he gives me after he fixes my car because I wonder if he might overcharge me. I always ask him for a price quote because I don't want to just bring in my car and say fix it and give me the bill later because I'm afraid of what he might charge me. So we trust people in different ways. My wife I trust in terms of her integrity and her love for me. My mechanic I trust in terms of his aptitude and competence at his job. The point is we trust people in different ways. The creator God comes to us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5, and he says, I can be trusted holistically, wholeheartedly, with all your heart, trust me, without reservation. In fact, he demands that we trust him in that way. Because he says, I have both the aptitude and the character to be fully trustworthy. He is the fully competent God, and he is the God of full and complete integrity. And he loves us. And he always seeks our best interest. In the, in the language of Isaiah 9, which we've looked at previously in, in these, in the, during the season of Advent that we just walked through, this, this Christ, this God, is the everlasting Father. That is, he is loving and caring, and he's honest, and he's present with us. But he's also the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. That is, he's competent and he's powerful to do the things that he promises to do. That's the Lord who comes to us and says, trust me. Usually when people say, hey, listen, trust me, the alarms go off in our heads. The, the flags go off. Because if this person is telling me to trust them, I wonder if I really can trust them. God is the only one who can come to us and say, trust me wholeheartedly in every area of your life. I am up to the task. And the alarms don't need to go off in our head. In fact, we would be wise to listen and to rely on him fully. You know, those people who we don't know if we can trust, we, we give them only limited access to our lives, right? You share certain things with them, but not everything, because you have to make sure, you don't, you're not quite sure that you can open up completely and make yourself fully vulnerable with them. Well, God demands full access. In fact, those are the only terms upon which he will deal with us. With God, it's all or nothing. He says, I want full access to every area of your life. The second directive in this passage is do not lean on your own understanding. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Lean here, by the way, it doesn't just mean this. It doesn't just mean shift your weight. I'm leaning on this. If someone were to come out and kick this out, I'd probably be able to recover and not fall over. Lean here has to do with putting all your weight on something so that if that thing were to give out, you collapse. Where my family and I lived for about 10 years in West Patterson, New Jersey, about maybe two miles from our house, there, was, there, were, there were these uh, waterfalls called the Patterson Falls or the Great Falls, which was a, a beautiful place right in the middle of a, of a, a really uh, urban environment, there was this beautiful waterfall, picturesque, mighty, just loud, and, and, and a gorgeous place to go. And so I remember once, the first time I took um, our family there, I took my son Marcelo to the, to the Patterson Falls, and, and across these, this, this huge waterfall, there's a small iron bridge, a kind of walking bridge, 
across. And, and, and I remember standing on that. Marcelo was very young at the time. And I remember standing in the middle of that bridge looking over. And this kid was holding onto my leg like crazy. He didn't want to let go. And I said, listen, we can lean. We can lean on this bridge. It's okay. It's iron. It's been here for a long time, and it's not going to break. But it's kind of narrow. It's kind of small. It sits up really high, and underneath there's raging white water and a huge drop. And so I could understand why he wouldn't want to lean on that bridge. In fact, I was a little worried about leaning on it, but I didn't want to show any weakness, so I leaned on it, and I said, Marcelo, you can do the same. The bridge was made in such a way that it could sustain all of our weight. But if perchance something were to go wrong, if some engineer around, down the road, you know, along the way made some kind of calculation error and this thing was not as sturdy as it looked, if it gave way, we were lost because we were putting all of our weight on that bridge. It was our only hope to keep us out of that water. God calls us to put that kind of weight not on ourselves, but on him. So what the Proverbs aren't saying here, when it says do not lean on your own understanding, the Proverbs aren't saying, listen, don't use your experience. Don't call upon your experience and, and what you've learned in order to navigate the future. It's not saying that. It's not saying, look, your experience counts for nothing. Your knowledge of the world counts for nothing. Don't use that stuff. Just trust God. That's not what it's saying at all. The things you've learned, the experiences you've gained over your lifetime are very important, aren't they? They've been ordained by God and brought to you and, and, and used by God to, to help you be able to navigate life better, hopefully now, than you would have a few years back. Your experiences and your knowledge and your aptitude, your skills, they're important. But what God is saying here is that they cannot sustain your full weight. Only he can sustain your full weight. He's saying, don't trust your experience and knowledge above all else. In other words, don't put your full weight on that. It can't support you. It will let you down. If you try to navigate life and all of your reliance, all of your trust is in you and what you've learned and the gifts you possess and the resources you have, God says, you will fail. That, that road leads somewhere, and we're going to see later it's not a good place. Instead, he says, use those resources, use those skills, but put your full trust, lean hard on me. It, it's, it's a call to exercise faith, basically. And faith is not the kind of blind, thoughtless reliance that sometimes it, it's characterized as. Listen to what one author says, John Bloom. He says, in exercising faith or in trusting fully in the Lord and not leaning on our own understanding, we're not setting aside our intellect. We're not setting aside our intellect. He says, we are resting our intellect upon the intellect of God. And there is nothing wiser or saner than that. See, you need wisdom and I need wisdom that go beyond our aptitude and our intelligence. So God says, trust me. I read something recently from uh, Elizabeth Elliot, or actually heard this on, on a podcast, but Elizabeth Elliot, who is um, uh, a former missionary and, and teacher who I think recently passed away, maybe just, just not too long ago. She, she uses this term. She says, when it comes to our relationship with God, we need to recognize the wisdom differential. She says, 
There's a differential. There's a gap between our wisdom and God's. And when we become aware of that, we should realize that even though I'm a pretty wise person and I feel like I'm pretty skilled and I feel like I have lots of experiences and I have a pretty good education and I've, pretty, I've done pretty well for myself, even still, we should look at God and say, his wisdom far surpasses mine. The differential is so huge that I would be a fool to not depend on him. I would be a fool to stake everything on me. God is saying to us, look, not only should you rest your understanding on mine, not only should you, should you trust me more than you trust yourself, he says, listen, have your understanding shaped by the Lord. Have your understanding of the world shaped by what God says is true. In faith, allow him to mold how you view the world so that your understanding over time becomes more and more aligned with God's. So that your understanding of the world isn't just your opinion and your perspective, it's an opinion that they're perspectives that have been shaped by God in reliance on him so that the way you th- see things lines up more and more with the way he sees things. That's growing in wisdom. We grow in wisdom as we grow in reliance. You know, it's funny, we were, when we were standing on that, on that bridge across the Patterson Falls, and my son was grabbing hard to my leg, I understood that impulse. And yet I thought, it's kind of silly, because if I fall, you fall, right? If this bridge gives out, holding onto my legs is <laughs> not going to help you. And yet I think it's the way we think sometimes. We find ourselves like, we need help. And yet, rather than putting our reliance on God, we put our reliance on other things that are just are easily failing, are easily collapsible. The Bible instructs us not to put our faith or to put our trust in the arm of man, is one of the phrases that the Bible uses. What does that mean? To not put your faith in the strength of man. That means your own strength. I would say, don't put your trust in the leg of man either as my son did because it's it's not going to hold up look at what this next directive in proverbs 3 says it says in all your ways acknowledge him in all your ways acknowledge him and this term acknowledge it means more than just um tip your hat to like we acknowledge someone like hey i see you back there shout out it's more than give god a shout out right acknowledge him means to know him The word really would more accurately be translated that way. It means to know intimately, in fact. So what God is telling us here is that in all your ways, in other other words, on all the paths that you walk, all the roads that you go down, all the circumstances that you encounter, seek to draw near to and hear from and walk with God. Know him intimately. Seek to know him more intimately as you walk down every path that you encounter. The fact is that he is present with you. He's not absent. He's not far off. So look to him. Look to him for grace. Look to him for help, for strength in all of your ways. All of them. Now here's the thing. As we trust in him more actively, rely on him more intentionally, 
we will grow to know him more intimately. Hasn't that been true for you? That in those times in life where you've been pushed, like you have no other option but to trust in God, it's by trusting in him in those moments that you actually grew to know him better. You understood his character. You understood his heart for you. His presence was a much more real, tangible thing for you in those moments. But here's the problem. Some of you, some of us, we seek to know God when things get desperate. That is, we acknowledge God in some of our ways, the more difficult ways, on some of those more treacherous paths that we have to walk. When we get desperate, then we say, Lord, I want to know you. Draw near. Rescue me. It's as if God is on call and and we get in touch with him as the need arises. The Proverbs call that unwise living. The Proverbs would call that folly and foolishness. To simply look to God, to know him only when things really are out of hand and you feel like you're in the deep end. For others of you, maybe, maybe you don't rely on God. Not because you feel like you got everything under control. Maybe it's because you're afraid to. Maybe it's because you don't trust him enough to rely on him. In other words, you're suspicious of God. Suspicious of his intentions. Suspicious of whether or not he'll really live up to the promises he's made to you. Does that ever keep you from trusting in God? You're afraid to bring your mundane daily concerns to him because you don't want to become indebted to him. You don't trust him to be gracious with you and kind to you when you come to him with your needs. So for some of us, we feel like we're fine. We don't need any help. And when things get desperate, then we turn to God. Others of us, maybe we, we see our need, but we're, we're suspicious. We're like, I don't, I don't want to bring these things to God. What is he going to, if I really start to rely on God, what is he going to ask of me? What is he going to require of me? I don't want to be indebted. There, I don't know how many of you have ever watched um, The Godfather, part one, the first Godfather movie. There's a, there's a scene in that movie uh, at the very, it, it's, it's pretty much, it, it's pretty close to the beginning of the movie where um, the, the, the godfather himself, Don Corleone, he's a, he's a, a gangster, he's a, a mafia boss, and he's a powerful, dangerous man. He's throwing a wedding for his daughter. And during that wedding, he's, he's, uh, he's in his office, his study at home um, during the reception, and a, a, a neighbor someone who's known him for a long time, a guest at the wedding, asks for a meeting with him and comes in to meet Don Corleone. And this guy's name is Bonacera, is his name. And Bonacera says to Don Corleone, I have experienced a terrible injustice in my life, and I need help. And you're the only one that can help me. You're the only one who's powerful enough, who has enough pull to help me out. And, and Don Corleone is sitting behind a big desk, and he's, and he's stroking this little, this little kitten, and he's terribly intimidating. And he looks out at Mr. Bonacera, and he says, you know, he says, we've known each other for many years, but this is the first time you ever come to me for counsel or for help. He says, let's be frank, okay? You never wanted my friendship, and you were afraid to be in my debt. And Bonacera sits there silently. 
he says, I, I, he just made a great request of the Don, and now he realizes, have I made a terrible mistake? And the Don goes on to him. He says, he says, you found paradise in America when you came here, and you had a good trade, and you made good money, and you didn't need friends like me. But now, now that the need has arisen, you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, and you make this great request of me. It, 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 it's a bone-chilling scene. It's really, really uncomfortable. But, but as, I, as I was thinking about that this week, and I was watching that scene, actually, it made me think that, that some of us perhaps are a bit like Bonacera in relation to God, in the sense that we feel comfortable, we've got things under control, and if the, in an emergency, we can always go to God and get the help we need. But on the other hand, I think that some of us maybe view God as if he were this character, like Don Corleone. Like we realize that if we do really go to him with our needs, it's not going to go well. Because we haven't really been keeping up with our relationship with him lately. We haven't really been living up to his expectations lately. And so if I go to him with my needs, he may sit behind that desk, like Don Corleone sat behind that desk, and say, hey, listen, when things were good, you didn't come to me. You never wanted my friendship, and you were afraid to be in my debt. But now, you come to me, and you ask for mercy, and you ask for help. Don Corleone meets this man's request, but then he holds this over his head, and he uses it to manipulate and later get a favor back from this man. And sometimes I think we view God in that same way, as if he will treat us in that way. God is not the... He's not an on-call consultant that we call whenever we need, in the, in, the, in the middle of the night when we have an emergency. Nor is he the intimidating crime boss who's going to hold every request over our head. No, he comes to us as the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, who says, walk with me, know me, make bold and huge requests of me, and it's my pleasure to meet them. It's my pleasure to give you what you need. You see, God says, walk with me in all your ways, even in the ways that you think you can, you can handle. Remember, don't lean on your understanding. So here's a question for you. As you embark on this new year, will you do that? You need to. I need to. If, if your families need you to rely on God. Our families need us to. You... You put them, and I put my family at risk when I refuse to rely on God. And you put yourself at risk when you refuse to lean wholeheartedly on God. When you stubbornly say, I got this, you put yourself and others at risk. Look at, again, Let's look at this passage in, verse, in Jeremiah chapter 17. There's a beautiful passage here that speaks to the very same things that, that Proverbs 3 speaks about. The prophet says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt 
land. You see what comes as a result of us turning away from the one who says, trust me, and leaning on ourselves. What we find is not life, not flourishing, but it's opposite. But then there's a promise in the very next verses. Look at verse 7 and 8, what it says there. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots to the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What happens to the one who trusts in God? There's, there's a, God himself is the life giver. And so as we rely on him and trust in him and abide in him, what we experience is life. Newness, flourishing. Does that mean material prosperity? No, it doesn't. Not in every case. And in many cases, it doesn't. But it means this. It means safety for your soul and flourishing for your heart in the present. And it means flourishing and prosperity eternally. Some of us, man, like I said, we go to God when we feel like we're in the deep end and we need help. God says, listen, you're already in the deep end. You just don't realize it. Rely on me now. There's an assurance that comes at the very end of this passage. A promise. He will make straight your path. Proverbs 3, verse 6, the end. He will make straight your path. And by the way here, straight, when it says that God will make your path straight, straight doesn't mean easy. Straight doesn't even mean comfortable. Straight means the right path. (laughs) The straight path means the path that's going to take you where you actually need to go. It will get you to the right place. And though it may seem difficult and long and frightening, it's ultimately safe and good. This is the promise for all who will trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. It's not a promise that life is going to be comfortable or that life is even going to be happy, happy, happy all the time. But it is the assurance that that the eminently competent and loving God who is directing your path will take you where you need to go. That is, he will accomplish his perfect purposes in your life. Even if those purposes might surprise you, even if those purposes might disappoint you. It's the very assurance that we get in Romans 8, 28. This is a passage that many of you perhaps have memorized. Some of you have anyway. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know this, we know this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And by loving God, think loving God, relying on God, trusting God, knowing God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, this is the kind of path. This is the kind of uh, uh, straight path that the Proverbs are talking about. This is the path that God lays down for those who trust in him and whom he calls. He says, look, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to change you. Transform you into the person that I want you to be. And ultimately, I'm going to glorify you. You're going to be perfected in eternity. This is the path that God has laid out for all who trust in him. So, 
It's not saying that things are going to be easy, but it is saying that the path that he sets before you is going to be a path that makes you more like Jesus and a path that leads ultimately to you being the person that he's called you to be. So where's our trust, guys? Where, where is your trust leaning? It's, it's a hard question to answer. I think sometimes I need to attach it to, to specific instances. I need to think about specific circumstances I face, think about how I responded to those circumstances, and that reveals to me where my trust is. You know what I'm saying? Because if someone just asks generally, hey, do you trust God? Yep, sure do. But it's in those moment-to-moment circumstances that we face whether it's dealing with a disappointment or dealing with, with um, a, a challenging, hurtful uh, situation, dealing with a, a relationship that's broken, or dealing with joblessness. It's in those particular instances that I need to stop, that you need to stop and say, wait, what is my reaction revealing about where my trust is in this moment? Is your trust in your own experience in your own wisdom, in your own abilities? Is that where it is? Or maybe, for some of us, is your trust just in this kind of superstitious, positive optimism? It just says, things are going to be okay. How do you know that? Oh, I just believe they're going to be okay. Things are going to be fine. Who are you trusting exactly? I don't know, but the universe is going to work. I think it's going to be all right. Or maybe it's the opposite. It's a kind of superstitious, universal negativity that just says, things are going to be awful. How do you know? I don't know, but just things are going to be awful. This year is going to be... Terrible. Or is your trust in some kind of weird karma system? And I say weird because I think that for for some people who um, are, are Christians who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, still seem to operate through life as if, as if God's universe works on a karma based system. Like if I do good things, those good things will come back, will boomerang back to me. If I do negative things, then those negative things are going to come back to me. So if I really want to be blessed and I want to live a happy life, then just do good things and they'll come back and they'll lead to blessing for me. Do evil things and the opposite's going to happen. That's not the gospel and that's not what the Bible tells us at all. At all. What the Bible says is, look, rely on the eminently good God. Trust him. And by grace, by grace, he will bring into your life blessing and flourishing and goodness. As we end today, I want us to, to just um, ask one more question. How do I know if I'm trusting in God? And, and I want to give you some ways. I just want to kind of rattle these off as we go through here and we'll close down. What, what are some ways that I can know that I'm trusting in God? Because like I said before, it's hard to tell sometimes, isn't it? So this is not exhaustive. These are just some, some questions for you to ask yourself to, to help you identify whether or not you're trusting in God. And, re, and not just trusting, but trusting in, and relying, um, leaning on him with all your weight. And maybe as I go through these, maybe you'll think of others that you can ask yourself. And if you do think of others, other diagnostic questions that you can ask yourself, I, I'd encourage you to share those with others. Share them in your care group. Share those with other brothers and sisters. But here's a question for you. Do you plan and prepare for the future with prayer? Do you plan and prepare for the future with prayer? And I don't mean planning and preparing for the future with prayers like, I make my plan, God, bless my plan. You know, like, I want to dominate 2017. God, make this happen. Let's do it, 
right? That kind, I don't mean that kind of prayer. I mean the kind of prayer that looks to God and says, in the midst of your planning, in the midst of your preparing, that looks to God and says these words from Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me, lead me in the way everlasting. You see, it's the kind of prayer that comes before God and says, yes, I'm making my plans, but I need you to search my heart out. I don't even know what my motives are half the time. I don't know why I make the choices I make half the time. I don't know if I'm operating out of selfishness or not. Show me what's going on in my heart. Reveal it to me, but don't leave me there. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me down this good path that you have promised for me. It's it's a kind of prayer that says, your will be done, Lord. I have my plans. I have my desires. I'm bringing them to you. I'm openly telling you what I would like to see happen. But I'm submitting myself to you and saying, Lord, your will be done. Give me wisdom. Help me navigate. But ultimately, help me humbly submit to your will. And, and, And really, it's a place of saying, Lord, if my plans are foolish, then smash them which is a pretty scary prayer to pray. But it's a good prayer to pray. It says in Proverbs 16.9, as Carolyn read for us earlier, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of a human being plans, the Lord establishes the steps. And these two lines are not meant to see, be seen in, in opposition with each other. It's not we plan, plan, plan. God says, oh, forget about that. I'm going to direct your steps. It's not we plan, 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 but what's the point? Because God's going to direct our steps. That's not what it's saying. It's saying we plan, and that's good. God directs, and that's very good. And so the two work in conjunction. So as we plan, we look to God and say, Lord, I'm planning. You direct. Please, or else I'm lost. Here's another question to ask, ask of yourself. Are you, are, you, are you trusting and relying on God? Here's one way to, 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 here's another question that gets at that. Are you eager to hear God's take? That is, are you eager to hear God speak into your life regarding the circumstances you're facing? Again, that goes back to prayer. It also goes back to, it also goes to how we engage with God's word. I believe that the primary way that God communicates to us is through the, the, the words that he's given us in, in the scriptures. It's the primary consistent way that we can just keep coming back and open this and say, God is speaking to me. There's no doubt about it. Every time I open these words. So are you eager to hear what God has to say? Do you actually expose yourself to what he has to say and what he actively is saying to you even now? There is, um, I heard a, I don't know if this is true or not, to be honest, because a lot of um, bogus quotes are, 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 um, are credited to this guy, but Charles Spurgeon, who's an old British pastor, an author, it said once was talking about a friend of his, a member of his church who had a Bible, and that Bible was all kind of ripped up. The, the binding was broken. The pages were all folded. There was writing all over. It was a mess of a Bible. And he made the comment that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not falling apart. 
I think it's, maybe it's cliche, maybe it's silly, but there's some truth in there, isn't it, right? So it's for the person that, that is actively relying, I'm not saying go home and destroy your Bible, I'm saying like read your Bible, so as you're reading it and as you're pouring over it and as it's getting well used, <laughs> you're being fed wisdom. Simple as that. And it's not just the mechanical exercise of opening up the scriptures, it's the, it's the, it's the dependent, prayerful exercise of coming to God's word and saying, I believe that you will speak to me here. It's prayerful meditation over his words, slowing down and meditating over what God says, regardless of how we feel about it in the moment. Because some of us, I think, we would say, listen, I believe that God speaks to us in his word. I believe it's wise, but really, I often sit down, I open a Bible, I've got a few minutes in the morning, I do that, and I really get very little out of it, and it's kind of a waste of time. If that's where you're at, I think I can relate to that, but I would also say to you, in love, I believe you have trust issues. Because God himself comes to you and he comes to me and he says, look, these are my words breathed out by me. He says, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Jesus says, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my word will never pass away. He says all that to us about his word, and then we say, yeah, but I'm not really getting much out of this. Who are we going to trust? my own understanding that says this seems like a waste of time, or are we going to trust the God who comes to us and says, this word, what I have to say to you here is vital, life-giving truth that you need, whether or not you recognize that. Who will we believe? Who will we trust? And so in some, to some degree, coming back to God's word, even when we're not necessarily feeling it, coming back and praying, even though we're not necessarily feeling it, it's with the hope that we will start to feel it, right? It's with the hope that, 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 that our, our, our hearts will be enlivened, that something's going to kick in, and we're going to actually experientially feel the presence of God. Absolutely, we want that. But every time we come back to the word of God, even when we're not feeling that way, it's an act of faith and reliance, because we're saying, God... My own understanding is telling me to go do something else, but I'm going to trust you. I'm coming back because you've said, you've said that these are the words of life. And so, like one of the disciples once said to Jesus, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm going to come back in reliance. A couple more questions and they'll stop. One more, uh, one more here. Do you confide honestly in God? Or do you pretend with God? This is a way for us to gauge whether or not we actually trust him. Do you confide honestly in him, or do you pretend with him? So for instance, what I was just talking about, that sometimes we come to God's word and we're not feeling it, frankly. We read it and it doesn't really connect with where we're at. Do we come to God honestly with that? Or do we pretend like everything's okay? Because I'm saying that God is so reliant and so trustworthy that we can come to him with all of our doubts about the effectiveness of his word, all our doubts and questions about the wisdom or lack of wisdom we feel like we're seeing in his word, we can come to him with all of that and lay it out before him honestly and say, Lord, this is where I'm at. He's trustworthy enough to receive us in that and still bless us. In fact, the Psalms are filled with that sort of talk. The Psalms are filled with a a man coming to God and saying, where are you? Are you really trustworthy? Because if you are, what, what are you doing right now? And yet it's asking those questions and expressing that out from a position of humility that's coming back again and again to God in spite of doubts. 
Here's another one. Are you willing to accept anything that God sends, whether you understand it or not? Are you willing to accept anything that God sends, whether you understand it or not? And that includes things like sickness and loss and disappointment. And again, it doesn't mean just receiving those things without questions and without doubts. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying stoically receiving everything God throws at you and just saying, I, I take it all. No, again, the Psalms are filled with prayers that speak of, that come from the heart of a man in positions like that, where he's experiencing loss and danger and death. And he cries out to God, why? What's going on? Where are you? And yet, and yet, again and again and again, the Psalms end in one place. They end with, I can trust you. I can trust you. Are we willing to receive? I'm not saying it's easy, but are we willing to receive whatever he sends? And then the last question is this. Are you willing to obey God even when you disagree with him or doubt his wisdom? Are you willing? It's a trust issue, isn't it? When God comes to us and tells us that something is either good for us or bad for us, and it makes perfect sense to us, then obedience is easy. Oh, yeah, it makes sense to me. Because, yeah, I can trust you in that, because what you're saying lines up perfectly with my own understanding. But how about when what God says doesn't line up perfectly with our own understanding? When, when, when what he says disagrees with what we believe, or with what people in our lives believe, or with what our culture tells us, or with what our heart tells us, are we willing to obey anyway? So that when, when, when in the midst of conflict, God comes to us in his word, or maybe he comes to us through a counselor or, or some other trusted person and says, listen, God wants you to forgive this person. God wants you to go to this person you're in conflict with and forgive and reconcile. And you're like, that doesn't seem like such a good idea to me. And I don't think that's a great idea. Why not? Because I feel like if I forgive this person, they're going to take advantage of me. Or if I seek to reconcile with them, they're going to reject me. That does not seem wise. And God says, no, it, it, it is. Are we willing to obey even when we disagree? Again, it goes back to the question, is God really our wonderful counselor whom we look to for guidance in every area? Or is he our consultant? We pay, and someone told me recently, I don't know if this is true, and, and no offense to any of you who are consultants here, but I've heard that consultants are people that you pay, they give you advice, and then you ignore them. Is that, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's not God for, for one thing. That's not God. In the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what God in the Proverbs tells us about work, money, decisions, how we raise our kids, about our sexuality, all these other areas of life. And I believe that as we go through all of that, it's going to reveal to us more and more whether or not we trust him with all our hearts or, or really um, deeply rely on him or whether we rely on our own understanding. I think it's going to reveal it. How do we respond when he tells us something that rubs us the wrong way, especially when it doesn't line up with our wisdom or our own preferences or what others are telling us? I believe that we can sum up the verses that we've read today in Proverbs 3 this way. God is telling us to put our lives in his hands. It's an invitation to put our lives in his hands and experience all the goodness that comes from that. And it starts not really just by saying, I can trust God with 2017. It starts with saying, I can trust God with everything, eternity, 
eternity. I can trust him even when the things that I'm trusting in life that I'm leaning on break. I can trust God that he's doing that to show me that my reliance and trust should be elsewhere. We can trust him not just with the year to come, but we can trust him with our souls, with our entire lives. You know, the, the very next verses in Proverbs chapter 3, after the ones that we've been studying, it says there in verse 7 and 8, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Healing to your flesh. The, the word there for, for refreshment, it's really medicine. It's, it's medicine for your bones. The fact is that this is really only fulfilled eternally. We may trust God in this life and still have sickness and still have weak bones, but eternally, this promise will always be fulfilled. Jesus Christ, the living embodiment of all that it means to be wise, all that it means to rely in the Lord with all his heart and to know God in all of his circumstances and all of his ways, the living embodiment of all that walked a very, very difficult path. A path that led to death. He suffered and died not because of his foolishness, because of his unwillingness to trust God. He died because of our unwillingness to trust God. He died because of your foolishness and mine. But because he's died, because he died in our place, the people like us who are skeptical and suspicious and self-reliant, he dies in our place so that we will not have to suffer that same penalty. He says, look, because I have died in your place, you will not have to. Now you are guaranteed to experience the healing and the refreshment and all of the goodness and flourishing that you don't deserve because I have lived wisely for you. And so here's the thing. Trusting in God with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding starts here. It starts by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and substitutionary sacrifice. It means trusting in him that his death was sufficient to save you so that you don't need to work hard to save yourself. And once we begin there, then that sets us on this path that Proverbs 3 describes where we continue to trust him in all of our ways, continue to rely on him and not on ourselves. But we don't start by just trusting him with our circumstances. We start by trusting him to forgive us of all of our sins, to give us new life, Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, and I am clean from my sin? Who can say that? There's one man who could say that. Jesus Christ could say, my heart is pure and clean from sin. And he says to us that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, then we too, like him, can say, I am clean from sin. Not because I have made my heart pure, but because you have made my heart pure. Let's pray to this God together. Lord, as we look forward to this new year, um, there, there, there's some fear, there's some trepidation, there's some anxiety, um, maybe there's some excitement mixed up in there. Wherever we're at, Lord, we ask that you would not allow us to be distracted by anything that would keep us from relying wholeheartedly on you. Show us in the details of our lives what that should look like. Teach us 
to rely less on ourselves and to trust in you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.